Welcome to the Better Together Podcast. Here, you'll find inspiring and enlightening podcasts brought to you by our MDS ARG pods. ARGs, associate resource groups, strive to explore, highlight, and share the wide breadth of experience of our BD colleagues, their families, and their communities. The story behind today's episode starts in Colombia, but takes a jarring move to the American Northeast. It's about sacrifice, hardship, triumph, and the pursuit of the American dream. For more, here's Joe Balin with Danny Marin. Welcome to the Better Together podcast series. I am Joe Balin, your host. I am excited today to have a special guest who comes to us from the North Philly Territory, Danny Marin, who is was an ATM um, back in 2018 and now a TM. He's been here for about five years. Uh, Danny, welcome to the, the show. Thank you, Joe. How's it going? It's going good. And, you know, I, I was going to introduce you. I wanted to introduce you as Danny Alberto Marin. And I use your middle name purposely because I know, and we'll get further into this, when you first came to the United States, not to give too much of a spoiler alert, you had some uh, challenges with your middle name that I guess brought you some either shame or embarrassment or just difficulties um, when you first moved here to the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I go by uh, Danny Marin, but uh, having the middle name Alberto. Uh, sort of uh, got in the way at times at, at school and such, or uh, people would find out what my middle name was. And I think that there was some bullying there. It just sounds very um, like South American and, and such. And, and uh, yeah, people would call me sort of by that middle name to uh, bully me and sort of uh, bring me down because I was from a different country. That is correct. And and let's talk about that. We're going to go back. So you came to the United States in 1999. Um, but prior to that, you grew up in Colombia and your childhood started off in Colombia and and was, you know, I guess for you seemed like a normal childhood. But for for most of us, probably not so normal. Uh, so, yeah, I was born uh, in 1990 in Colombia. Um in 1999 was when we moved to the United States, but growing up in Colombia um, was awesome. From the childhood memories that I have, uh, going to my uh, grandma's farm, that was like my sort of fun every uh, Friday. Uh, I, that would be my my weekend trips, right? Every weekend, my grandma would take me with her to her coffee farm where she had cattle, horses and such. And, and that's what my fun was, going to uh, my grandma's farm. And And so... For you, there was never any sense, at least early on, of concern with safety or drug trafficking or anything that, you know, would, I guess, as a, a kid would make you think any different of the country and, and my home of where I'm growing up. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, early on, it was just like, hey, uh, grandma has this farm. Let's go to uh, and have some fun. Let's, I mean... She, like I mentioned, she had a coffee farm of chicken, pigs, horses. I remember milking cows, riding horses, feeding the animals, uh, picking plantains. Uh, the, the farm was my favorite place to be. But the older I, I got, uh, started seeing that, hey, Colombia was a violent country. And as many of you know, um, I mean, starting in the 1970s, when organized crime grew significantly, with, with massive drug tra trafficking in Colombia uh, and all, went all the way to the 1990s and even now. So Colombia has been known for being a country with uh, drug trafficking, right? And yeah, the older I, I got, I definitely started seeing that it was a dangerous place to live. 
were there things, Danny, that like stood out in your mind that you started to think, huh, what is that? That seemed odd, or this maybe isn't the safe zone that I thought it was, or I was growing up in. Is there, were there like certain things that maybe you came across just either in school or just out and about that just kind of made you say, hmm, what is that? Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, growing up in a small town, um, Cartago, Colombia, um, you would find out if like, hey, a block or two blocks from there, there was a, fam- a family member uh, or a friend that was uh, sort of murdered, right? Uh, and it was like the talk of the town, like, hey, this person died. Uh, but it was like an often thing that happened like in a, on a weekly basis. And and I'm not I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the show Narcos, uh, and it's very accurate to uh, what mem- many families in Colombia were growing up with, sort of uh, that violence where people were being murdered in front of their families. But talk about your upbringing a little bit and your parents, and obviously I guess early on they were protecting you maybe from some of these these scenes and and really trying to give you the most normal upbringing that they could within the environment that you're living yeah absolutely so uh, i'll start with my mom uh she was uh the youngest of 11 uh seven brothers four sisters uh and her dad died when she was seven years old uh so she was raised by a busy single mom and her brothers kind of stepped in as father figures right um so when my mom's dad died uh her mom my grandmother took over the business and the expectation was for all the family members would finish off high school and work within the business, right? Cattle farm, uh, coffee farm, et cetera. Um, and kind of similar story with my dad. He was not as many kids, but uh, was uh, one of four. Uh, his dad also passed away when he was young, 15 months, right? So uh, they both had that in common, uh, raised by single mothers. And unfortunately, during this time, a lot of people were murdered, right? Um, both of my parents be- became uh, overcame adversity and were raised in tough environments, right? Uh, with the expectation to take over the family business. Fortunately, I know I mentioned my mom had older brothers who made bad decisions with with sort of the farm business and all that, uh, and sort of the money that was left behind by my grandfather, where they started making uh, bad decisions, uh, especially in the 1990s, uh, where uh, drug trafficking was huge from. Uh, Colombia to the U.S. and such. So when you say they made bad decisions, um, talk a little bit about that. That was bad decisions in terms of getting involved in the drug drug trafficking area and and maybe making bad deals with the farm. Yeah, well, not not with the farm, but I think with the money that they were getting from the coffee and the cattle and all that, they made bad decisions. Where uh, some of her older brothers that she hasn't really shared much, but I think. Um, they sort of came to the U.S. and such, and, and they made bad decisions with that money, right? Um, okay. Where they were trafficking or, or whatever they were doing, right? But this is that kind of like led to my parents move away from this sort of environment in Colombia to uh, move to the United States. Uh, and there's some stories behind that as well. Well, let, yeah, let's back yeah. up there a little bit because I think it was in 1995 uh, when we had talked before. You told me. You have a clear memory. You came home from kindergarten and your mom received a call that still sticks with you today. We tell us about that. That kind of changed the trajectory of, of your life in a lot of ways. Absolutely, Joe. So 1995, a big year of, of why I'm here, right? Um, 
I remember coming home from kindergarten, like you mentioned, and my mom receiving a phone call. And I, I was actually thinking about this before uh, we, we started chatting. And uh, I was like, there was definitely, it wasn't definitely a cell phone. It was definitely a landline. And I just remember to this day, her reaction still haunts me. My mom's reaction to the phone call. Uh, she dropped on the ground, yelling, crying. I've never seen her reacted the way she did right um i thought she was actually dying she couldn't speak my sister and i were going up to her like mom get up what's going on um anyways a few days later i was at my uncle's funeral it was my mom's youngest brother carlos who lived two blocks away from us uh, in the same town um and that was my mom's closest closest brother right she had older brothers but she, the closest one to her uh was carlos and um and yeah he was murdered right in front of his um his uh daughters his twin daughters and wife yeah it, it was it was tough and, and sort of i know i mentioned the, the show narcos before then uh I'm not sure if, if people would remember uh the war sicarios but sicarios were like the people in, that would come in like a like a dirt bike and someone in the back of them where they had a gun and, and that was pretty much what happened with my uncle someone kind of came by his house and drove by and killed him uh right in front of his family uh and that was that was a horrible moment of, of my family's life and my mom's life and my and it's still i mean even just talking about it i get emotional oh i imagine and, and that experience ultimately is what made your parents really realize that this is not a safe environment we need to do something else to to get our children somewhere safe absolutely i mean it was this experience that made my parents realize our family was in danger and they decided to leave everything behind my dad had a great job he worked for bank of columbia and um yeah my mom was kind of like a stay-at-home mom kind of protecting my my sister and i right i mean the twist here is my uncle carlos his best friend was my dad uh, mm. and because the reason my uncle being murdered is because his older brothers uh were not doing uh the right thing right they were uh not making the bad decisions and they went after the family after the young ones right they went after carlos who was a hard-working man um and yeah who and who's next in line after my, my uncle carlos uh was murdered right it would probably be my dad um that that that's what made my parents sort of leave everything behind and uh yeah 1999 we packed our bags the united states it wasn't easy we said goodbye to our family and didn't see them until 20 years later and i imagine you know because that there's a there's a period of about four years right it's not like you just the next day get up and leave but in those four years of saving money and planning and you know moving to another country there must have been a lot of fear that you guys lived in for for that period of time especially you know with what happened to your uncle Absolutely, Joe. No, we uh, right away. I don't want to say right away, but I think a few weeks later, or even a month, we uh, we ended up leaving that town where uh, my uncle was murdered, and we moved to a, sort of a city well known in Colombia, uh, Pereira, where we um, it was like a, a nice complex that my parents we ended up moving right. Um, and I feel like just moving within those four years, we actually moved twice. It got us prepared to well the life we were going to live in America by also moving from apartment to apartment. But uh, between those four years, 
my parents definitely had in mind, hey, let's try to save up as much as we can. So when we move in 1999 or in the next few years, uh, we have enough saved so then we could go start a new life in America. So 1999 rolls around and your parents get a, a visiting visa for six months, right? To come out to America and you move to Patterson, New Jersey. How, how do you land on Patterson, New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, no, Patterson, New Jersey. I mean, close to New York City. Uh, you mentioned Patterson, New Jersey to, to a lot of people and don't know exactly. Um, what it means, what, where it is, all that what, stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Uh, and we landed in, in Patterson, New Jersey. My mom had a niece uh, and my mom being one of 11, right? Um, the youngest of 11, she had nieces that were like her age. It was it, it's, it's insane to think that way as well, just because she was so close to some of her nieces and one of her nieces lived with her husband and her kid um, in Patterson, New Jersey and, and offered a room to my mom for my sister, myself, my dad and my mom to live in until we found our own place. So the four of us lived in one room. Uh, we shared a bathroom. It was actually a second floor that all of us shared, uh, both families. Um, but yeah, it was kind enough for my, for my mom, my mom's niece to, um, to sort of let us stay with her for, for a few months while we found our own place. In, in Patterson, from what I know, I mean, I know Patterson from, you know, the Hurricane Carter and Bob Dylan's song, Hurricane and the movie. But I mean, there were, were there racial tensions in that town that maybe exacerbated being from another country and moving to Patterson? Actually, uh. Being in Patterson, um, there was a lot of people from different countries of South America. Um, so it felt like almost the same as Colombia. Um, yeah, it's you're now in a different country. But at one point, I think we figured out, hey, this is not the safest neighborhood. And I think my mom and my dad realized a few days in. Um, but it was a little safer than Colombia. And so your parents... Um worked as janitors at that time in Patterson. So your dad went from working at the Bank of Columbia to him and your mom coming to America, working jobs as janitors to save up money to get a place. That is correct. Yeah. So yeah, they knew that coming to this country, they didn't have like the education, uh, the degree to for my dad to go to another bank. Right. And, uh, yeah, they, they had to get any job that would pay them, especially because we were just sharing one bathroom and, and, and a bedroom with another family, right? We were, it was, it was pretty tight. So they knew they had to accept any job at first to work hard, uh, head down, eyes up, and just get as much money as possible to try to rent, uh, our own place. And you said, you know, at this, originally your, your parents were on a visiting visa for six months, but at this point, you've stayed longer. Yep. And, yep. And so at some point, though, your parents realized you didn't want to be they didn't want to be in Patterson, New Jersey. So they reached out or had a friend who lived in Connecticut. That is correct. So after a few uh, after a few months, they realized that, hey, we didn't just move to Columbia to Patterson, New Jersey for a better education. Right. It was kind of like they were seeing the same sort of violence in the streets of Patterson. Um, and my mom made the decision to, to call a friend in Connecticut, um, who raved about the education there. Right. So we ended up 
kind of doing the same thing that we did from moving to Columbia to Patterson, right? We had to share another family's sort of bedroom and, and, and bathroom uh, for, for them to help us out, right? So we ended up moving to Connecticut with my mom's friend, uh, her husband and her and her daughter. And they actually, we lived with them for a few months while we found our place in Connecticut. So kind of like the same story again. It kept like going from to back to zero uh, as we found our place to where we really want to start this American American life. What's interesting is you went to Norwalk, but when you were in Patterson, as you said, you were kind of insulated. You were in a bubble because you had a lot of people from South America in that area, right? So you had kind of a, I think in your words, it was kind of like Colombia in a lot of ways where you had people who were speaking your language and you were able to communicate and there was a, a, a safety net there, some insulation. But as you moved to Norwalk, that's a different experience. There's not that group there, that insulated um, people that you can talk to, that you can relate to. Absolutely. That was something new to, to me, to my sister, my dad and I. I mean, uh, the first school I joined when we moved to Connecticut was Wolf. I remember at the elementary school. I was there for a few days, but it was Wolf Pitt Elementary School, which was in the district where my mom's friend lived. Right. Great area. Anyways, I, I show up on my first day of school and I had already, it was already within, I mean, months of the new school year, right? There's, oh, the new kid, there's a new kid that's coming in next week, this and that. So I show up and literally everyone in my class didn't speak Spanish. I mean, completely different from what Patterson was, right? Everyone spoke Spanish. Now I'm going into this class, not knowing a word of English, couldn't relate to anyone, um, the teacher would ask me questions. I had no idea what she was asking me. Um, but uh, yeah, it was definitely tough. I mean, those first couple of days from that school, I'm like, how am I going to stay here for the rest of the year? Right. Um, I mean, everyone's staring at me like literally like I'm an alien. Uh, yeah, they're asking you a question. Uh, can you can you speak? Right. Uh, but after a few days, um, my mom ended up doing some research, asking people around the neighborhood. There was. Norwalk, Connecticut offered an ESL program at Silvermont Elementary School, which was for uh, it was a it was a school that offered a Spanish speaking um, teacher uh, for first generation kids. Right. Which really helped me understand, be around sort of the people uh, that knew the language. And then a little about in, in, during that class, they teach you English as well. How, how old were you at this point? Ten? Yeah. Uh, nine, ten years old. Okay. Yeah. And then there, there's a story there um, that kind of stuck with you. The egg story. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, yeah. So, of course, like, um, being uh, from Colombia, you go to school, they pack you lunch from, like, the from where your mom cooked the night before, right? And that didn't change. My mom would pack me lunch. Um when we first, uh, when, when I first started going to uh, Silvermine uh, Elementary School, and I remember she packed me uh, an arepa, which is like a pita. Um, you want to sort of like a flat taco, right? And then you put like uh, eggs and, and ham on it. You can mix it with different kind of protein, right? So my mom cooked me a nice arepa with egg and, and meat, right? And I brought it as lunch. Uh, I just remember being in the cafeteria. And yes, it was we had an ESL program, but there was also all the classes that were just with uh, regular English speaking students, right? 
Uh, but we all shared a cafeteria. But I just remember me, I think it was in a bag, in a plastic bag, uh, take out the Tupperware. And literally, it's just eggs and living at that where people are just staring at me and laughing. I did enjoy my food at that point, but <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm like, what people are just on? looking at me like, what is this kid? I mean, it happened uh, in Walker where everyone's just like staring at me like, who is right. this kid? And then again, it happened at Silvermine. So that, that, that was just the constant thing that was happening. Like, who is this kid? Like, where is he coming from? Why is he so different? Right. You didn't move to peanut butter and jelly sandwiches after that. To... <laughs> uh, I think I, I moved to Uncrustables after that. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so then you you told me you really got fluent in English by sixth grade. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I was out of the ESL program. So the ESL program is awesome because you could just continue third grade, fourth grade, and fifth grade. I was in the ESL program. And then sixth grade middle school still offers that uh, ESL program. There was a few middle schools that offered it. Yeah, I was out of it. They're like, Danny does not need this program anymore. He's good to know. He knows the language. He's able, he's able to have conversations and uh, in English. And kind of, I was out of that program by sixth grade. Correct. Yeah. And you would think, you know, now that you, maybe in your mind, I'm speaking fluid English. So maybe this bullying or this, you know, this making fun of me will stop. But it got worse. Absolutely. I think middle school, for anyone from a, it doesn't matter what country it is, I think the bullying really starts in middle school, right? And especially being first generation, being born in a different country, right? I think when I got to sixth grade, it's when it really got very bad, right? Uh, I got made fun of uh, the, the cars that my parents were dropping me off with, right? They, they were crappy cars. That's all they could afford. And, and I remember just being dropped off in the front of the school and and people would point fingers, right? I mean, there's this car making all these different noises and stuff. And I was the one, you know, being being made fun for that. Uh, also, racial slurs for being a Latino. And yeah, yeah that definitely I, got worse. I was going to say, you know, what's interesting, too, is, I mean, in the beginning, the bullying, as you said, is directed at you. But as time went on where you started to assimilate more and you were speaking English, you were playing sports, people didn't really point out to you your differences or background. But I think what may be even worse is that they would say awful things in front of you, right? And being judgmental, as you say, in your words about other Hispanics, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I started making a lot of friends through like playing sports, soccer, lacrosse, but I think people sort of started accepting who I was, right? And they're like, all right, we're cool with Danny. But they were just very judgmental about other Hispanics, uh, which was eye-opening because, like, hey, I I'm still one of them, correct? It's like, those are my people. But part of me, I didn't want to defend it because then they would go back to bullying. With, bullying yeah, these are, your these are your buddies, quote-unquote, right? These are your people you hung out with that gave you a center in in your your town right yeah yeah but inside of me it made me feel different because if they if they're making fun of someone from from south america or central america right uh in front of me what if it made me think like hey when i'm not in the room or when i'm around them they're definitely making fun of me um so i sort of kind of just just kept it to myself because I needed to, it's sort of survival mode. I can't go against these people where they're going to go against me again. Um, 
but it, it definitely hurt me inside. And it still hurts me just to think about how much bullying there is with, with, with so many Hispanics out there. But yeah, it definitely, it was, it was being said in front of me, which, which, which was very hurtful. Yeah. And, and, I, and you had told me, you know, that you started to hide your heritage as much as you could because you didn't want to let them know either it bothered you or that, hey, you're talking about my, for lack of better terminology, my family, right? Absolutely. And, kind of, yeah. Yeah. And it kind of goes back to um, my middle name. I, like, I was ashamed of my middle name as well, uh, just because. I, I didn't want them to start bullying me again for because of, I came from a different country. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I I had similar experiences growing up. I I grew up. I was a Jewish kid in an Irish Catholic area, heavily Irish Catholic. I think there were five Jewish kids in our whole town, and you know, I had my group group of friends, none who were Jewish, but would hear the same things. You know, they would say things about Jewish people with me there, and you know, it's just one of those things that. You just kind of eat it and, and let it burn you up and not sure how to react as a kid. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, you know, something people can learn here is is trying to understand that or understand the perspective of others, you know, that you're with and, and before you speak. But I, I relate tremendously with that with your when you told me you began to hide your heritage as much as you could. I spent, you know, my years in, in Massachusetts. I wouldn't offer up the fact that I was Jewish in my town, right? Eventually everybody knew because it's a small town, but it's one of those things I was always very uncomfortable with. And, and you know, and I don't know if you felt the same way, but felt shame that I wasn't more proud of that at that point in my life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now that um, I'm in my 30s, I'm like, I want to just keep using my middle name. I used to like not even put it in like, Put your name. I never used to be able to, or put a last name. I used to just put the letter A, right? I was just so ashamed of people judging me because of, of, of my middle name or where I came from. But um, yeah, I think it's just at times you just need to, I say hide it because you're not going to go against thousands of people when they're bullying and they believe the same thing. It's like, hey, yeah, I could go ahead and sort of uh, protect myself and tell them the way I feel, but I'm going to end up losing because there's so many against you. Uh, so it's like, hey, just just roll with it. And later on, you could just go back when you're successful enough and like, hey, that motivated me uh, to be where I am now. So let's talk a little bit about moving on. right? So you're you then are in high school and, and, and you end up going to UConn. But in high school, you couldn't get a license, right? Uh, nope. Didn't have a social security number. Right. And then yeah. what about applying to colleges? That yeah, became no, yeah. a challenge as well with no social security number. Yeah, no, that's that's a great question that you have. So, um, I mean, high school was tough. Uh, middle school is you start seeing a lot of bullying, and high school, like, hey, you start preparing to go to college and really want think about what you want to do in life, right? Um, and that's when you start driving, right? I couldn't drive in high school. I couldn't get a license because you needed a social security number. Uh, all my friends, like, I mean, after soccer practice, lacrosse practice, or getting to school, like, Danny, like, when are you going to start driving? I'm like, hey, man, I failed my driver's test. So it was like, oh, my God. And that was like a conversation throughout like two, three weeks. Danny can't pass the driver's test. Wow. Right. Which made me feel ashamed. Like, oh, that, like, were you keep, Were you keeping it quiet then that? 
you were illegal at that time? Absolutely. Yep. Yep. I was very afraid of telling people my story of me being an illegal immigrant. Right. Uh, I didn't want to be judged even more. Um, Was there fear of deportation? Like, did you guys live in that fear or your parents maybe live in that fear? Or was that not something you really thought about? Something that I didn't really think about. It was definitely like something that I saw in the news. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think my parents it definitely went through my parents' mind, like, hey, hopefully we don't get deported. We're here illegally. Um, we're doing the right thing. We're, we're, we're paying taxes, taxes, right? So at the end of the day, uh, we knew we were doing the right thing. We were just not here illegally. So um, we'll get to, to that point in a second. But you went to UConn. Um, how did you end up at UConn? What was your, you know, what was the process to... I mean, obviously, it's in Connecticut, but just, you know, was athletics part of your decision there? How did you end up at UConn? And and I guess even going back a little bit, why college? Was that always something you were going to do? Is that something your parents drove for you to do? Or how did that come about? Yeah, I think the the reason moving to this country was to get a better education, right? And um, something my mom told us every day, get good grades, go to school. Um, this country will pay off if you do the right thing and go to college right so college was always in our minds in my mind in my sister's mind so hey we want to make mom proud we want to make sure that hey it was worth moving to this country so yeah i wanted to go to college i applied to schools i got recruited by a couple of schools to play soccer uh but when it came to the um, adding a social security number and these applications it kind of put a stop to hey I'm not going to get approved for financial aid, right? So why UConn? UConn offered, I got a, I got a, accepted at UConn because they offered a first-generation program okay. where uh, my senior year of high school, um, I sort of graduated a little earlier to go to this program where you do like a summer course um, and then sort of they teach you, they want you to live on campus, right? Kind of help you understand how to live on your own, right? um and sort of take classes see what kind of grades you're going to get i was able to uh of course uh pass the courses uh be at uconn but then uh you you still needed to put a social security and i left that we actually applied with my um tax id number where later on my uconn got back to me and said hey this is not a valid number you're gonna have to pay uh full tuition for it at this point I had zero dollars, right? Uh, my parents, um, they, they they clean houses, right? They didn't have a lot of money saved up. Anything they, they had saved up was to, hey, for my sister and I. So my parents had to use pretty much all of their savings to pay cash for my first semester at UConn stores. Uh, that's when I realized that, hey, I need, it, I need to come back home. One, uh, paying for uh, housing here is, is is bringing the cost up a lot. So I decided that after my first semester, I would come back uh, home and commuted to UConn Stanford, right? Norwalk was 20 minutes away. UConn Stanford is just a regional campus. Uh, and I took classes during the day and worked at nights to pay for to pay for school. And I don't want to say I was paying for school. I was any paycheck I received, I was handing it over to my father to uh to pay him back to what he was doing for me and helping me pay uh for those semesters at UConn Stanford, which were not as much as UConn stores, right? But there were still thousands of dollars every semester. So I want to talk 
fast forward a little bit, uh, a date, June 15th, 2012, which was a life-changing date for you. And that was with the Deferred Action for Childhood arri Arrivals that uh, President Obama had passed on that date. Absolutely. I mean, an another big day uh, for, for my family, right? Um, I mean, 1995, was a horrible date, right? But it changed sort of our lives. Now, June 15, 2012, another very, very important day. And, and, and I look at this day and it kind of... It, 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 it like warms me up and like gets me hyped up because this is this is me in college knowing that hey I might not be able to get a job out of college because I don't have a social security number but then June 15, 2012, the Obama passed the DACA kind of like a Dreamers Act right this program provided relief from deportation and a work permit that you could renew every two years. Uh, so to qualify for this program, you needed to be brought here before the age of 16, have a high school diploma, and prove that you were in school and had a clean record. Like you can have a DUI. You, the reason you have to renew it every two years is because they check your record to make sure that, hey, you are being a good uh, resident, citizen in this country, right? Not citizen yet, but a good resident. You, you are following the law. It's kind of like a, a path to becoming a citizen down, down the road. Which is unbelievable. So now at this point, you're now able to get your license. You had a social security number and you felt, well, hey, now when I graduate college, I can get a corporate job somewhere. That was your goal. Absolutely. And kind of like the message that my mom always gave me uh, when we came to this country, stay out of trouble, uh, go to school. And look, 2012, this, this deferred action for childhood arrivals kind of my mom never knew about this or it was a new program but anything everything she told us was true because now i was able to to uh because of i follow what she said i was able to now have a license now have an internship um and sort of be happy about yes i'm going to be able to have a corporate job once i graduate because now i'm going to have a social security number I, I don't have to go through what i did when i was applying to college where am i going to be able to go to college so right. it was it was it was huge for me. And and at this point, there was no more shame from your standpoint of your middle name. You you would be happy to introduce yourself as Daniel Bertamarin. Absolutely. I was now accepted, right? And I think sort of that social security giving me that title of like, hey, you could have a social security number to apply for for a job, for an internship to uh have a, a driver's license it kind of just opened it up to me why was i ashamed of where I, where I was coming from right why was i ashamed of my middle name and i feel sad just even thinking about me being ashamed of my of, of, of my middle name which is my dad's name but yeah a huge weight off my shoulders and then you know i don't want to fast forward too much but you you got a job out of college and there you met your wife that is correct. Yep, at, at Indeed.com. Uh, Indeed.com is not, it's not a dating site, but it's a corporate job. Uh, <laughs> anytime I tell people that, hey, yeah, we met at Indeed.com, like, wait, isn't that a job search engine? Yes, it is. I was in the sales side and she was in the customer relations side. And what I think is great as we go full circle in this is, you know, you came to America 
escaping the the tragedy and the challenges in Colombia with your family. You had a a tough childhood in the sense that there was a lot of bullying. Um, where you went to school and growing up made your way um, to get uh, accepted and the DACA pass. So you had the, the fear of deportation lifted from you. But do you want to tell everybody what happened uh, in, in January of, of this past year? Yep. So uh, January 5th, uh, 2023, it's been an awesome start to the year where um, I was able to become a citizen. I mean, I'm smiling right now and it was it was the best moment of my life so far. I mean, uh, well, just you're gonna, it's the second best moment of your life because we're going to get to the best moment in a second, well, right? I, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, no, yeah, it was it was a great moment just coming out of the immigration office, knowing that I passed the interview and seeing my wife there with a sign that uh congratulated me for for becoming a citizen um and and it was it was i won't forget that that picture of me coming out and just hugging her and and her saying you did it i mean she, she's my rock and, and maggie she's always encouraged me to share my story and 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 that moment was just unreal because now everything that we that i went through from moving away from my country right leaving family behind uh, going through the struggles through middle school, high school, uh, college. And so it was all well worth it. And then something else also happened. And I say it was the second uh, greatest moment of your life because uh, just recently you had a baby. Absolutely. Yes. So um, we, uh, my baby girl, Marin, Tegan Liberty Marin, uh, was born February 4th at 1244 a.m. Yeah, full circle. I mean, it's it's the American dream. You think about having, uh, loving your job, uh, owning a home, and now um, being married to to um, to your best friend, right? And now having a daughter. It just it's just the American dream altogether. And I think it's it's important. I know you just said it, but pointed out again that your daughter daughter's middle name is Liberty, uh, in honor of the American dream journey that you took with your family in 1999. That is correct. I mean, uh, I remember uh, last couple of months uh, before uh, Tegan was born, we were thinking of a middle name and um, Liberty kind of came up. And I mean, what this country has provided to my family and myself uh, has been the liberty to be successful, right? Uh, have that path to go to school, have great, uh, good education, uh, not having to be worried about uh, having your parents uh, being murdered right in front of you. Uh, so this country means a lot to me. Amazing. Yeah, liberty li and liberty. Liberty just just sounds so good just because we Maggie and I got married at a at a farm called Liberty Farms as well. So it just brings that that name is just just means a lot to me. Well, there's there's one thing I want to mention, and and then I want to ask you about what you want to drive home for anyone listening. But your team got together and surprised you. Uh, with a little congratulatory party for gaining your U.S. citizenship. And I saw pictures of it, and I thought it was really touching and awesome and, and just really uh, great to see that camaraderie within the company. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my manager, Bill, uh, surprised me. We were um, we usually meet up to talk about business and, and our targets and all of that, and we were supposed to get dinner to talk about some of the stuff that's going on in my territory. Um, and um, he actually 
also invited my wife. He goes, hey, my, uh, if Maggie wants to come, uh, I know she's um, uh, eight months pregnant. I don't want to push it. And I was like, no, she would love to see you. So I'll bring her. She might go home a little early. So uh, I ended up coming with Maggie and I show up and I have uh, my whole team there uh, just with an American flag and a Colombian flag. And um, (laughs) it was it it was it was amazing. Uh, I definitely got emotional and it was it was just happy to see my team congratulating me for my story. Uh, That's that's a, a moment that I will never forget. Well, Danny, as as we wrap this up, what is it that you'd want to drive home or have those listening understand? Yeah, absolutely, Joe. And um, thank you for letting me share my story. And there are three main points that I want to drive home for anyone listening. Immigrants aren't bad people. The U.S. is a melting pot. We were all immigrants at one point, right? Uh, I love this country because of the opportunity it has provided me life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm also so proud of my Colombian heritage and where I come from. If you're an immigrant and you feel shame, I hope like my story can inspire you to feel proud of your background, your heritage, and where you come from. Um, and I hope hearing my story can help people to hold less judgment towards immigrants and people with different heritage. Uh, hopefully one day, children won't be bullied simply for being first-generation immigrants. Uh, I also encourage people to educate themselves on immigration policies and think about my story before pass, passing judgment. And that's something my wife always said. It's like, I never knew any of that before I met you. And I'm happy to share your story and for people to know like the tough environment and stories that many of you have. So just try to put yourself in my shoes. Uh, I was brought here beyond my free will at nine years old. Uh, many people, many kids come, come like that as well. Um, and lastly, I mean, my idols are my parents. Like I mentioned before, I mean, now, today, right now, I know they're cleaning someone's office, someone's house, and their work ethic, then not giving up, is just something that I think about every day. It makes me wake up and grind even harder. They sacrifice everything for a better life for my sister and I. And they, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's something that I think about every day. Just my parents have, have done all of this for us. Um, they have paved the way for our family and all the future generations of parents to come, right? Um, whenever I think of, str- of the struggles that my parents face and the sacrifices they made, it gives me the drive and the ambition that I need to carry on and keep working my hardest. Um, so I thank my parents for, for this amazing life and I'm going to keep making them proud by um hey just keep going with the american dream um and at the end of the day they know that i'm I'm trying my hardest but the work ethic comes from them well i gotta say i I think your story will inspire others to feel proud about their background right i think you opening up and being vulnerable and sharing with us the experiences you've had is really touching and and really something that people will take to heart so we appreciate you coming on the podcast, telling our story. It's been an amazing story, an amazing journey of the American dream um, to see where where you were, what you went through, and to be honored with gaining your American citizenship and starting a family here in America is awesome. So, Danny, thanks for jumping on, and I appreciate it. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate your questions. You got it. Thanks for listening to this Better Together podcast. 
For more information on ARGs at BD, feel free to contact Joe Balin directly. This podcast has been a production of BD. BD and the BD logo are trademarks of Beckton Dickinson or its affiliates. Copyright 2023 BD. All rights reserved. <laughs>